Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. Well, let's look here in Colossians, the second chapter, and it says, And now, just as you accepted Christ, Jesus, as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. And then the next verse tells us how we continue to follow him. It says, let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And so we're gonna talk today about being uh, rooted or planted in the church. But right now, we backed up to what Tony was talking about last Sunday, and that is being planted in him, or planted in Christ. And so, our life in him, as born-again believers, is, first of all, planted in the person of Christ. He has become our identity, our new identity. Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that any man that is in Christ, uh, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creature. Old things, the way things were before, passed away, and everything is now redefined in him. And as our roots go down into his perfection, his character, his personality, his stability, everything about him, when our roots go down into his person, what is in him comes up through us. Praise the name of the Lord. So um, we're rooted in his person. One way that I've seen this too is much like um, when we are in him, uh, it's like being in a house that has windows. You're able to see what is happening on the outside, but you are actually on the inside. The windows, uh, or the, yeah, the windows provide a way for you to see out, but they are the filter that you see everything through. This last week, we had some, some uh, gorgeous weather, really, and... Um, some rain happened this last week, and um, sitting in, in my living room and looking outside, oh, there, there was lightning that was going across like this. It was gorgeous, and I just enjoyed the rain. It was so beautiful, that rain coming down. It wouldn't have been so gorgeous if I had been out in it. But in, in the house, uh, you know, just looking at it, let me tell you, life happens to everybody. There's good things and wonderful things in life. There's some challenges that happen in life. But when you're in Christ, you look through him at everything. It is he becomes, his person becomes how you view everything. And so... Uh, we are planted in him, and our roots, as we keep growing in him, keep going down, down, down into him. I, I had um, the privilege to know him really all my life, and the further that I come to know him, I have never hit something or struck upon something that is awful. 
There is not anything toxic about Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? There is nothing dark about him. And the longer we grow down into him, the only thing we find is more beauty, more, more perfection, more loveliness. Everything beautiful is in him. So in Colossians, the first chapter, we're going to look at something. When we're talking about being planted in the church, because um, that's what this, this week's session is on, uh, planted in the church, what does that mean? And it can pop into mind immediately assumptions of what that could mean. Actually, when I was studying on this this week, um, I was really, because uh, I've studied on the church before and been really thrilled with different things that I've seen, but anytime you approach the Word of God just real fresh, boy, you can learn so much. And I would like for you, along with me, to just look, let's look fresh into the Word of God because there there's terminology that we use like the body of Christ or the church. And sometimes these things can become or these phrases can become like Christianese or, or uh, different cliches that we use. And we may not know where they come from or exactly what the Bible has to say about them. On a Sunday morning, we can't look comprehensively at these things, but we sure can get clarity of what the Bible says about the church and what it is. So let's look at that question first. What is the church? If we're going to be planted in the church, what does that mean according to the word? So Colossians, the second chapter, verse 7 says, let your roots grow down into him. Excuse me, yes. And let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Let's go to Colossians, the first chapter in verse 18. It says, Christ is also, we're going to be planted in the church. It says that Christ is the head of the church. And then it goes on to say this phrase, the church, which is his body. So we hear, you know, terminology used about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we hear something about the body of Christ. Well, this verse of Scripture defines what the church is. The church is his body. Well, then that begs the question, the body of Christ. What is the body of Christ? Well, this time of year, in, in, uh, at Christmas time, we celebrate the physical body of Jesus coming to this earth or being born here at this earth. In John, uh, the first chapter, uh, it says in the first verse that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is the second person of the Godhead, the Trinity, that existed for all time eternally existent. There was never a time that God wasn't. And Jesus, the Word of God, existed with the Father from the beginning. But only 2,000 years ago, he came to this earth in human form. He existed for all time as the Word of God, but 
Just 2,000. That's not very long ago. Just 2,000 years ago, he came, and God prepared for him a body. And the reason why is because there were things that God wanted to accomplish in his will among us um, for people, with people, on, on behalf of his heart that he needed a body to do it in. And so uh, he came as a human. In this verse of scripture, in John, the first chapter, in verse 14, if you'll go back there, it says, the word became human. Uh, the King James says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, even as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. So the word of God, the second person of the Trinity of God, became a human, or had a body. That body grew up. That body uh, carried out perfectly the will of God. Uh, Acts 10, 38 says, How God anointed Jesus with Christ with Na of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, because God was with him. God used Jesus' body. So this verse of Scripture says that Jesus was full of, of unfailing love and faithfulness. The uh, King James Version says he was full of grace and truth. And so there are three things that we want to see about the physical body of Jesus. His body was a container. I don't know where that water went. Um, uh, can you run some water up to me real fast? Uh, that, yeah, thank you. They, uh, just like this container contains uh, water, so the body of Jesus was a container full of grace and truth. And because it was full of grace and truth, Jesus uh, was able to manifest the heart and the will of God. And so we see that Jesus' physical body was filled with grace and truth and that he functioned perfectly and he fully functioned. His hands delivered the love of God in healing form. His eyes looked upon people and he had compassion for them and his feet took him to people that needed that love from the Father. And so Jesus' body was, uh, was an instrument or a tool for God to be able to demonstrate the third thing and that was the will, his will. So Jesus was the will of God in action through a body. So it wasn't just in word, but it was in deed and in truth in the life of Jesus. So then uh, that physical body, though, was crucified, died, buried, raised again. But when Jesus did raise from the dead, he didn't just raised to this earth. In Ephesians, the first chapter, it says that he was raised by the power of, of God and was seated in heavenly places far above all principality and power, might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Jesus's physical body is not on the earth anymore. Jesus's physical body is in heaven. And one day, you and I, not too, not too long from now, it could be, we will literally, in our, our, our own eyes, see him. We'll see him 
face to face. We will see him in his physical body. His physical body is in heaven. It's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, but we will see him. So Jesus has still a physical body. But I'd like you to look at Ephesians, the first chapter, and verse 23. It says, uh, in, that, in that prayer that Paul prayed for this whole church in Ephesus, it says the church, which is his body. The church is his body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. So Christ not only has a physical body, he also has a spiritual body. And the church is his spiritual body. So he, in his physical body, is in heaven. But, but there is today a spiritual body. He's the head of that spiritual body. And this glorious body is called the body of Christ. And what is it that we want to look about this glorious body? This body is also to be a container or an instrument to be filled also with grace and truth, the power of God, the anointing of God, full of grace and truth. And the second thing is that this body is to be fully functional, that it actually operates, not just in theory, but in deed and in truth. It actually mirrors in multiple ways what Jesus did when he was on the earth as a single man. All right, the third thing is that in doing this, in being fully functional, we are to be the will of God in action. Not just the building at the corner on, on what in, uh, whatever corner or a group of people down the road, but literally the will of God in action, the heart of God demonstrated, the kindness of God demonstrated as the body of Christ, as this spiritual body. And it is this body that we are uh, to be planted in. We're planted in the church. A taproot, uh, you know, uh, Lily married um, a horticulture guy. He just graduated from uni as a, uh, with a degree in horticulture. And um, I didn't even know, you know, you just don't really even think about people like that. And um, where my horticulture ended and uh, began and ended, I did a, a very small stint of homeschooling with my girls. And when we were moving from someplace to someplace, and um, and then I got some help to do it later on. But uh, uh, I dove into science in in uh, homeschooling my girls, and we were in one of the states in the. Uh, in America, and I, uh, I just thought, oh, I know what we need to do. We need to um, collect specimen of all kinds of bushes and trees and all, you know, and make a board with all kinds of leaves and identify them. And so we did. We went through the woods picking leaves and off of anything, you know, and we displayed them. And uh, I uh, displayed some poison oak. And for the rest of the summer, I displayed poison oak. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So yeah, there my horticulture began and it ended right there. And so, uh, yeah, so there is uh, something that I've noticed, you know, at, with Evan, Lily's husband. He has such a great love and uh, love for plants and flowers and trees and everything, and he's made it fun to learn. I never didn't know that it could be so much fun. But in, in looking at the different root systems, uh, and I didn't even know there were different root systems to be looked into, but there are. There's a root system that has a taproot, and that taproot uh, goes, goes down, but off of that taproot then comes other roots, and it goes out this way, and it branches out this way. Well, spiritually speaking, if we were to liken Christianity to that kind of a root system, our taproot goes into him. But it's not just one single root going down into him. There are roots that go off of that taproot, and those other roots that go off of him are going into his body. We're to be planted in the church or planted in the body. Let's look at a verse of scripture about this. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. And so we see already that when we talk about the church, the church equals the body of Christ. In other words, that we're talking about the same thing according to Scripture. We talk about the body of Christ, that means the church. The church means the body of Christ. Well, what is or who is in the body of Christ? What does it take to be in the body of Christ? Does it take a certain uh, set of doctrines to be in the body of Christ? Actually, the only thing required to be in his body be in the church is what we've already mentioned from 2 Corinthians 5:17 if any man be in Christ if you've asked Jesus into your life and he is in your heart because you've invited him into your life by your recognition of his lordship then you're in the church that means that there are a lot of people that are in the church that may not believe all doctrine of the bible exactly like you and if they are in the body of Christ, then they are many parts that make up the body. Many parts that make up the body, but it, they are in only one body. Look at this next verse of scripture. It says, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. In the Greek here, this word Greek is just, um, it speaks of not just the people from the nation of Greece, it speaks of anybody who is not, not a Jew. And spiritually speaking, uh, there were only two groups of people, Jews and non-Jews. But because, as, as Felice was saying, because of what God did through the work of Jesus Christ, uh, there's no more of this division between Jew and non-Jew as far as the body of Christ is concerned. If you ask Jesus to come into your heart, you are put and baptized, immersed into the body of Christ. And then it goes on to say, whether slave or free, 
So in other words, this verse of scripture helps us to get a picture of what the body of Christ looks like. What skin color does it have? What what are the characteristics of this body of Christ? And we can see that it is made up of anybody from any nation, any station of life, any background. It doesn't make any difference. If you've asked Jesus into your heart, you're baptized into one body. So there may be many different denominations But if you were to scrape away all the names, Baptist, Nazarene, Church of Christ, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Methodist, all these different denominations that are in uh, in existence, if you were to scrape away all of those, those names or those titles, really everyone that has asked Jesus into their heart is in only one body. You say, well, then why are all these different groups? Uh, If you look at this diagram of the human body, um, there are in, in the body many members or many parts that make up the body. When we look upon each other, praise the Lord, we don't see this. Wouldn't it be something if everybody sported their insides? It it would be awful, wouldn't it? But uh, you don't see any of this when you look upon each other. You just see basically the outside. You only really see, uh, you know, just a few organs. Actually, you see one of the greatest, the biggest organ of the human body is our skin. You see our eyeballs that are very much smaller in, in, you know, as far as dimension is concerned than our skin. But it doesn't, make, uh, it doesn't make the skin more important than the eyeballs just because there's more of it. Every part of the body is with function. God didn't make any part of the body to not have function. And so he says that his church is like a body. Every group has a function. And so it is with the body of Christ. Even though they may, there may be people that are a bit different, may vary, may emphasize different truths than another group of per, uh, uh, believers may not emphasize some truths exactly like that. Because they're in the same body, guess what? We recognize, we respect everybody in the body. There's not any members in the body that we have disdain for, that we diminish and we, uh, we abuse them because they're not in our group. Do you understand? Everybody is important to the head of the church and everybody has function. Different members of the body of Christ, different, different um, organs we could say of the body of Christ, different denominations that are function like different systems in the body or different organs in the body. All have function and have an emphasis. Some, some denominations emphasize some parts of the word more than other parts of the word, but we value it because they're all baptized into one body. Can you say amen? That's why we'll never speak, speak ill of another part of the body of Christ. We bless, we respect, and we cherish them because Jesus 
gave his life so that we could all be one. Now look at verse, um, look at verse 19 of this same chapter. It says, how strange a body would be if it had only one part. And indeed it would. It would be monstrous. It would look ugly. It would be a cyclops. It would be a horrible thing. It would be on Star Wars. It would be something. But it wouldn't be human. To be human, what makes a human is go back to that body, uh, that diagram. To be human, we have to have many parts. And what makes our body able to function properly is when all the parts function. If any part doesn't function, it puts a strain on the other. I remember when I, I had some dental work done and I kept on feeling it, so they kept on giving me more Novocaine. And I didn't realize how much I got. They probably didn't realize how much they were giving me. But it deadened one half of my face. So this part of my mouth went, you know, it was already numb. You know how, you, you know how unsightly it is when you're at the dentist and, and you try to, um, yeah, food comes out of your mouth and you don't know it, you know, <laughs> that kind of a deal. And so, but what happened to me this time, it wasn't just my mouth, it was my eye went, went to sleep. And so there was no muscle thing happening in my eye and it wouldn't blink. It just was kind of just staring. It wouldn't blink, but I knew it, subconsciously, my other, my eye knew it needed to blink, so this eye blinked like for this eye. So it was like just blinking, blinking, blinking. And this eye was just open and it was, it was weird. And it was making it water, water was coming out, so I'd just blink it for it, you know, I'd do it with my finger. And all the time, this eye was going like this. And this was all happening while I was driving home from the dentist. <laughs> so when, when, you're, uh, when you are not functioning, all the members aren't functioning as they ought, it puts, puts more strain on the rest of the body. So every part is important. Now, uh, if you look at these different organs here, the way I just picture it, the body of Christ is everywhere in the world, uh, of everybody that is born again anywhere in the world, but not just only in, in the world, but anybody who has already uh, passed away or gone home to be with Jesus. They're also a part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is huge. But what local churches, local assemblies are like organs or parts of the body. And it's important that local churches function, and they function well, because if local churches don't function well, it doesn't contribute to the greater functionality of the whole body. When the whole body all over the world functions at its capacity, there's nothing more powerful but for that greater body to function as it should, each local church needs to function as it needs to. Each local assembly, all right? So, let's look at this. In 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, in verse 18, each local church then is to be also full of grace and full of truth. Every local assembly, 
no matter what size it is, every gathering of believers needs to be full of truth. Uh, go back to that verse, uh, go back to that last slide. Every local church to be full of grace and truth so it can be fully functional. And ultimately, the goal is, the last point, is so that each local church carries out the will of God, does what it is supposed to do, and contribute to God's will being carried out in the earth. So now, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18 says, but now God has set the members, each of them in the body, look at this, just as he pleased. Your preference of, you know, uh, not just preference, but your desire how that there is a, a, a leading or a desire to be a part of a local body of believers didn't just come because you like the new paint on the walls. <laughs> Even if you didn't like the paint that was on the walls, sometimes uh, you may not like the exterior or whatever. But he put a desire for you to be in a local body, in a particular local body. And for that local body to be and to function at its uh, perfection, every person is important. Every person, every member is important. And so we see this from uh, Isaiah 61 in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, you know, and this was the prophecy uh, uh, concerning Jesus. And he was sent to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, preach liberty to the captives. Beautiful things. Open the prison door. Verse 2. Uh, verse 2. It says, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. But look at verse 3. The reason why uh, all of this salvation and healing and deliverance is so that to grant consolation and joy to those that mourn in Zion, to give them an ornament, a garden, garland, their diadem of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of a heavy burdened and failing spirit. Why? Just so that we can be happy people? Well, happy people is a good thing. But there is a goal in that of all those wonderful things happening in your life, of healing and deliverance and God doing good things in your life. There's a goal for that. There's a reason for that. And it's so that they may be called oaks of righteousness lofty, strong, magnificent, distinguished for uprightness and justice and right standing with God. And look at this last phrase, the planting of the Lord. You can't have those qualities without being planted. Those qualities come from being grounded and planted in him and planted in his body. And notice what it goes on to say. The planting of the Lord, look at this last phrase, that he may be glorified. He's not just glorified because we sing songs of praise and worship to him. He's glorified because these qualities of stability and Christ-likeness are coming out of us. We're rooted in him, but our branches are to go far and wide and, pro and provide fruit to people 
that otherwise wouldn't know him. Our branches are to go into our businesses. Our branches are to go out into, into the schools. Our branches are to go into all parts of society. But for our branches to go far and wide and be fruit-bearing, we must be planted in him, in the head, and planted in the body. Look at Psalms 92 and verse 12. The uncompromisingly righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, be long-lived, stately, upright, useful, and fruitful. They'll grow like a cedar in Lebanon, majestic, stable, durable, and incorruptible. That doesn't mean that when life blows that there isn't some, some you know, something happening with the, the boughs of your tree, but if you've got strong rooting, there's something stable about you. You're not going to be up one day and down the next and in and out, and you never know what. God wants us to be planted in him and planted in the body so there is a stability and strength, magnificence that gives glory to him and that his will may be demonstrated on the earth. Let's go on to the next verse. It says, planted in the house of the Lord, they'll flourish in the courts of our God. Planting in the house of God gives you this. Verse 14, look at even for older people, this is a glorious verse. It says, growing in grace, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. So no one just kind of just withers away until the day that you pass from this life that can be fruitful, fruit-bearing, glorifying to God in a beautiful way. Now, uh, go to Colossians, the first chapter, and we're going to look at a prayer here. I'm going to pray this prayer for you. But, uh, you know, in, in Mark 11, Jesus came upon a fig tree during the fruit-bearing season. He came to it, and you remember, uh, he cursed the root. Why? What did that fruit tree ever do? What did that fig tree ever do? Why was, why was Jesus addressing that? What was wrong with that fig tree? Huh? It didn't have any fruit on it. It didn't have any fruit. To not bear fruit, to not be fruitful in our life, doesn't represent him. Fruitfulness speaks of our connection with him. Do you see? And so, uh, Jesus said this in John the 15th chapter. He said areas, branches that aren't bearing fruit, he prunes them. And so there can be areas in our life that are, that are not fruitful. I've, I've had areas in my life not fruitful, kind of, in, you, you know, you just kind of steer away. You don't want anyone to know about those areas, but they're there. But I tell you, the, the, our gardener sees them, and he doesn't, he doesn't uh, dislike the plant. He goes to work on it because he's a good gardener so that it can bring more fruit. He wants your life to be fruitful. He wants your life to be glorifying. Isn't that wonderful? 
There's something particular from his heart that can only be expressed through you the way that he wants it to be expressed. Nobody else, nobody else can take the place that you are to fulfill in his body. You're a particular member and your part is necessary. And that's why Paul prayed a prayer in Colossians, the first chapter. He said, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And it goes on then, and then in this verse of Scripture it says, then the way that you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your life will produce every kind of good fruit. Good fruit. Again, planted in the head, planted in the body of Christ. We're a part of the great body of Christ, but also then, as members in particular, we're planted in the church or in the local body, planted in the court of God so that we can bear and bring maximum, maximum functionality as individual organs of the body of Christ or individual churches in the body of Christ that make up the greater body. So why? Why? For the same reason God sent his beloved son. It's because he loves the world. Thank God he loves me. But he loves bigger than me. He loves the world. He loves people who, who, don't even, who don't even care to know him. He loves them. And so rather than just loving them in heaven and ha thinking happy thoughts about them in heaven, he activates his body so that we can demonstrate that love to people. God is always after showing his love to people, demonstrating his love. And God has a work for local churches to do in their communities, not to just be there for, some, for us to go to on a Sunday morning, but for us to show his love in our communities, for us to demonstrate his love to people who need his love. And we can do more together, planted in the church together, than what we could ever do just individually. Let's do it. Let's let our roots grow down deep into him and then go wide into his body. Praise the name of the Lord. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.